Experiences podcast. My name is Mark Sandino, and I'm here with Matthew Karasik. Well, I'm not exactly sure how to say your last name now. What is it? It's Karasik. Karasik, but Yuri in our office challenged you. No, he corrected me. Yeah, it's a, it's a Ukrainian name, and he heard it, and he said, oh, no, 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 Karasik. Yeah. <laughs> did you take that back to your family? Uh, I did, and said we've, we've all gotten it wrong. Yeah, so, but your, par- your parents said forget about it. So I'm now Matthew Karasik. Karasik is so much more exotic. Matthew and I are involved in something called the experience economy, which uh, people may have heard about. But as we got deeper into it, around a piece of software, we discovered some amazing things. But before we get into that, Matthew, please tell me a little bit about yourself for the benefit of anyone who happens to be listening. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, Lived all over this country, uh, been in technology since uh, 1996, and uh, come here now and uh, have, you, have you enlighten me on this thing that's happening all around me as stores close all over the place, and, uh, and, and think it's an interesting time. Yeah, um, and, and approximately how old are you? Just When you say you've been in technology your whole life, well, not since you were in grade school. Who knows? You seem a little older than that. <laughs> I don't know if the internet was around when you were, or me, were in grade school. But how, you know, how long have you been in I'm, it? I'm at the low end of 40s. Okay. All right. All right now. <laughs> me too. I mean, you know, I'm just going to say it. I'm 45. So I was around at the beginning of the internets when my dad's business friends were calling to me at my dad's prompting and saying things like, um, we need some uh, internets on our homepage? <laughs> or e- we need an email on our business. Can you help us with that? Yeah, I'm 42. I was there for the Commodore 64. And before that, my dad was uh, at the bleeding edge of innovation with the first uh, remote control I'd ever seen. It was about a 30-foot cord with a single pause button. Really? It and was attached to the TV? To, no, to the Betamax. To the Betamax. Oh, yeah. Oh, I do remember. They did have the cords, and you'd plug them in. Oh, my god! Literally one button. It's yeah. just pause. Yeah. Yeah, so you don't have to walk four feet before you get your beer out of the fridge. Right. And um, you've been a part of some amazing startups like DoubleClick, and you've worked for some intri- very interesting people. And part of the reason that you and I worked together, we met years ago at a WeWork when you were um, running a startup and subsequently I ran into you again when you were working for another startup. You're the kind of guy that VCs have on, uh, on their Rolodex, as it were, on speed dial these days, I guess is the way to put it. And what do you do these days? Yeah, had some wins, had, uh, had more losses, but those are good uh, l- learning moments, which is uh, why anyone would, would call me out of that Rolodex to uh, avoid any mistake I've made in the past. Mm. Uh, what I do is help, help companies, help products, uh, launch new, new products into opportunities that could exist and, uh, have it with some frame of what does success look like? What does failure look like? And, uh, trying to laser focus on at least getting steps one and two, right? Yeah. And when we were, when we moved back to WeWork, you happen to have found yourself back in WeWork in another place in Seattle. WeWork is, you know, we're fans of WeWork and their model. It's a great place to meet people. I count a lot of opportunities having come from WeWork. But it's like, oh, there's Matthew Karasik. And uh, I haven't seen him for a while. So we connected and we were talking and I said, uh, you asked me what I'm doing. And I said, well, uh, as you know, we're a consulting company. We've been doing that for years, making web apps and stuff like that. But hey, I'm pursuing this new thing. We call it Experiences. It's technology for the experience economy. And uh, you generously gave me your time for free to help me think more like an investor. I've never raised money, 
before from investors for software. I've done it for real estate. And, uh, you know, lots of comical meetings where you say, Mark, Mark, come, uh, just, stop, just stop talking. <laughs> and not so many words. <laughs> That's what you said. And you think like an investor. And it's been incredibly helpful for me because even if I never raised $1, what it's helped me to do as the primary investor in my business, which has not just been our time of me and my employees, uh, but it's also been actual cold, hard cash in some measure to create our first version. Uh, even if I never raised a dollar, I've, I have a new perspective on our business and digging deep to justify my business, which uh, you don't really have to do if you're not thinking about what's going to satisfy an investor. He's like, I don't care. I'm just really interested and I'm doing it. It seems like a great idea. And I think big successes can come out of that. All that to say, it's been very helpful. But you and I have delved deep into the experience economy world and um, been become somewhat fascinated by what's happening in retail. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Okay. As someone who is newer to it than me, what are some of the standout facts or realities that you have learned working on this together? Yeah, no, it has been a uh, <clears throat> super fascinating uh, intro for me uh, because everything that I've learned about it is intuitively obvious if you just have the right frame of mind. I mean, if you just look around uh, and it's happening in such a large scale, but I feel like it's just getting so much less hype and conversation and coverage that it took me hearing and seeing uh, a handful of things happening one after another to be like, oh my goodness, there is something massive going on here, right? Everyone knows stores, physical stores are closing, brick and mortar stores are closing at ridiculous rates. No, right? Okay, it, what do you, give me, an, give me a statistic that we both have talked about. I, I think the low end number prediction is 75,000 brick and mortar stores are going to close in the next few years. And that's the low end. I, I, I'd have no reason to doubt it, right? You look at any shopping mall, you look at hold malls, and there's turnover, there's, you know, there's boarded, boarded uh, up windows. This is happening. The front page of headlines is the next big, you know, household name that my grandparents and my parents, you know, called their, their normal Saturday and Sunday afternoon. You know, they're closing shop at, at a rapid rate. And so that's there, and everyone knows about that. Uh, e-commerce is in our face and direct-to-consumer, everyone really kind of thinks of the antithesis of all those stores are closing. Well, here's why. And I think the, the missing piece for me that is just now this aha is all you have to do is compare all that with your Instagram feed. Like no one is taking pictures and sharing their experiences, unboxing their next product. You know, that's so 2000. Well, wait a second. Well, is that really not happening anymore? I mean, it feels like we have these uh, YouTube influencers that like Marquis Brownlee and these guys, I think they do much more than unboxing stuff these days, but that's what it is. It's product reviews. But that's for, I believe that those are for the enthusiasts of that product and that category. But in terms of what the mass is doing in, you know, relative to the fact that all these stores are closing, well, if all those stores are closing, what are they doing instead? They're doing two things. Well, hang on. And I just, I just want to make a fine point about this thing we're calling the retail apocalypse. Now, people will push back on that who are in the notes like, oh, no, retail's not dead. Only X percent of all sales or revenue is coming from online, online sales. And, and you're, you're very tr- it's very true. That, that is a very true statement that retail is not dying, but it's, 
it's dramatically changing. But before we can look how it changes, these brick and mortar closures are not uh, Debbie's Bead Shack and, and Joe's Strut Shop. We're talking Payless Shoes shuttering, what, 2,700 locations, one of the largest sweeping brick and mortar closures in American history. We're talking brands that have been stalwarts of the community for decades and decades and decades, brands that felt infallible. Even Gap stores are looking like bad yard sales at these these days. And um, yeah, maybe they're a byproduct of your Midwest mall closure, which ironically... Uh, reportedly, I haven't verified this myself, Amazon is buying those spaces to turn into either distribution centers or per, perchance data centers, which seems like it's more distribution centers. Um, so like, it's, it's, we're not talking about the stores nobody wants. We're talking about the stores that have a certain amount of brand affinity who are saying this thing that you and I believe unequivocally is true, which I think you can probably say it for me because we've talked about it so much, what people are doing and what they're not doing these days. And I, I'm, I'm just, I'm setting you up right here. Go ahead and say it. Yeah. Listen, uh, <laughs> I remember growing up, we, we used to say, well, what are we going to do today? And a, and a good answer was, well, let's go shopping. Like that was an activity. Yeah. And that's, that's just not the case anymore. If there's a product that you want predominantly now, if you can get it shipped to you, you will. Th- that's the fact. Uh, I get my razor shipped to me. That's just how that works. Why would I get in the car to do that? People just aren't going to do that. And so this is why direct-to-consumer is booming. E-commerce is bo- booming. That is the truth. But what will, someone will get in their car for, and they will get on an airplane for, they will, planes, trains, and automobiles, they'll hike, is for an experience, for anything that you can, you, a memory you can make and share and put on Instagram. And it's not because it's Instagram. It's because the memory is is a whole, lot, uh, a whole lot of fun and great quality of life. And so that's the movement that's going on. And so earlier you asked me, you know, what is this experience economy? And, and I said, it's this thing that's so ever-present and clear in your face. It's just unlike DTC, which gets lots of, you know, great blog posts and Harvard Business Review write-ups on it. The whole notion that, you know, the other side of direct-to-consumer is people are still going out there and going to these brick-and-mortar places. They're just not doing it to go pick up a candle. They're going to do it to make a candle mm-hmm. and, to, and to share that experience with someone. And so that's what I'm taking away is the yeah, experience Yeah, to, to use that example, uh, Yankee Candle Shop, if you're familiar with them, they have every type of candle. They have, you know, pecan pie candles, uh, backyard moss candles, um, mama's perm smell candle i don't know they just have everything when you walk by it's 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 a it's odiferous to put it in a native way they haven't made an announcement that they're filing bankruptcy but if you do a search on google yankee candle store closed you have a bunch of people on message boards saying what happened to my local yankee candle store the idea that someone's going to get in their car to go pick up a product off a counter or on a slat wall is 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 it's becoming kind of ridiculous but where you have brands like the Yankee Candle Store dying off, you have other brands, candle making workshops and craft workshops and stuff like that, that are growing exponentially. We have a client like that. Um, and one of my uh, team members, one of our team members, uh, was out at one of their shops in uh, North Carolina this last weekend and had a phenomenal time. And they're, we're not talking even about... Um, one-offs. We're 
there there are dozens and dozens and dozens of new candle making startups that require you to come and do something contribute your own labor <laughs> it's not even made for you i mean that's obviously intuitively part of the magic you're contributing your own labor and you're paying a premium and in this case you're paying a premium ahead of time sometimes it's by as much of a month to go and create this candle and you're not doing it by yourself i mean can you imagine if you were to have said to yankee candles management uh, three years ago. Hey, here's the deal. What we're going to do is we're going to sell about 10 candles at a time. We're going to sell them for, you know, a premium number, whatever your most expensive candle is. And people will pre-book them up to a month or two in advance. You yeah. get laughed out of the room. It's a ridiculous concept. Right. Uh, but it's here. And, and frankly, just as a human, a consumer, forget my business mind. It's awesome. Yeah. Like that's so much better. You know, Get out of your phone, get out of your screen, and go do something with some friends. That's an awesome thing. A lot of what's informing us is this book called The Experience Economy, written by Pines and Gilmore. It's been around for quite a while, and they predicted accurately, in hindsight, that if you are a retailer who's just selling stuff, you're going to die. And I think at this point, from what we've seen in our customer base that we already have for the product we'll introduce in a second, that that's absolutely true. I can... I can confidently and have said to brick and mortar businesses that have come to us, if you think hanging stuff on a wall, putting it on a countertop and shoving a disinterested teen behind the cash register is going to cause success, think again. You have to be in the business of curating experiences where those products and services are props for the memory that's being made. And when you look at that candle from that candle shop, yeah, it's fun and it's pretty. I mean, the candles Chip brought back that he made uh, are nice candles. They smell good, but they mean so much more to Chip because of the the memory that was created around the candle making experience. He went by himself, which was probably kind of weird, but he made some friends. I asked him, did you make some friends? Do you have some new besties? He's like, oh, yeah, there's some really nice people there. <laughs> but, you know, it was a fact-finding customer support um, mission for us. And by the way, if you want to check it out, a uh, very legit startup called uh, Candle Bar. Just go to thecandlebar.co, North Carolina and Dallas and Austin, and really super cool. I hope they come to Seattle. But these things, these, these goods and services are props for this memory. Um, we've talked about the benefit of durable memories. There's actually an interesting statistic. Do you remember what it is, what a, a positive memory does? No, tell me. Okay, so um, a positive memory dispels anxiety and increases happiness. And I don't think a lot of modern consumers are saying, well, I need to dispel some anxiety and increase my happiness. <laughs> I need to do five of those this year. They are just flocking to it because we have exited the era of goods and services and a very real economic movement is experience economy. And um, one, one uh, statistic you push back on me because you say you just can't bandy this about because the number is too big. But the experience economy in the form of sports, entertainment, travel, and dining is on its way to being an $8.2 trillion a year um, a part of our economy. And that's huge. And the current generation of money consumers or the ones coming into their money, uh, people ages, I don't know, roughly... 17 to 28 outspend Gen Xers and Gen Z or Gen baby boomers uh, significantly, right? So I think the, 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 the real mind 
crunch on that whole thing is combining the last two things you said, right? Like if you are the person who has a brick and mortar store, let alone a chain of 20 stores or 200 stores, and you are seeing this and you do see that, hey, if you just slot your products on the shelves, it's not going to work out for you. And then you combine it with, okay, well, here's the new way of doing things. That's, that's, the, that's the, the, the real think piece on that of people who know how to open a store and put products and deal with supply and demand and all that, they know that. And now all of a sudden to say, well, it needs to be a slave to the experience. That's going to be the real interesting piece is how that all plays out, right? Is, are all those folks going to start to really try, start to understand, well, how can I transform what I have here, what, I, what it could be, uh, or do we have to wait for that sort of turnover to occur for the next generation of people who know how to, how to take a brick and mortar experience and say, this is both experiences and goods that complement them. Right. Uh, and so I think that's going to be the, you know, the, the real opportunity here, and, and it's going to dictate the rate at which this all unfolds. Well, let's talk about some examples. We can make some up, and we can also talk about some of our customers. So before we talk about the customers, let's introduce what this whole thing is about. Experiences is a word that you're familiar with. We just talked about it. Everyone wants great experiences. There are such things as bad experiences. We're really not here to focus on the bad experiences. We're here to focus on the uh, life-changing good experiences that people have that uh, create better friendships, create great memories, and do all the good work of a durable memory that is dispelling anxiety and increasing happiness. Uh, we have a piece of software that integrates with e-commerce systems. Our first integration is with Shopify. Shopify is a cloud-hosted uh, e-commerce system, probably the, the, the most, uh, well, the busiest one in the world with over 850,000 paying customers who are selling all sorts of stuff, mostly online, but a growing segment of brick-and-mortar businesses. And what our app does, in essence, is it allows you to add pre-booked experiences to Shopify. And uh, we find that our customers are varied and interesting. And over time, we're going to add technology that allows them to more effectively engage the experience economy customers to do things like effectively share their experiences on Instagram and the like, building specialized communication tools and doing all sorts of integrations. But we launched this about a year ago, kind of as an experiment, and we are instantly an international company with uh, customers all over the world. And we've had quite the adventure making it stable and robust, and, and we are discovering exactly what features it needs, and we're super excited about the relationships we have with these customers. But I think the most interesting thing is the variety of customers. And before we end today, let's just, let's just talk about some of the more unique ones and some of the ones you might expect. Uh, Matt, you've been around for a little while. What, what are, what's one of your favorites? Well, well before, before I do that, let me jump into like, there's, there's these two axes of varied types of customers. And I think the, the first piece that, that strikes me is, I feel like there, we have these three cohorts, right? We have these, these are folks who, whether they know the term experience economy or read the book or not, they are it. They are the prime example. You mentioned the candle bar. They know what's going on. And again, whether they talk about this the same way, they certainly understand what people want. They have people pre-booking two months in advance. Who knows? If we let our platform let people book it six months in advance, maybe they'd do that. We don't know. All of a sudden, 
a candle and now is a two-month sales cycle. That's wild. Then you have this next class of customers who are starting to see it and get it, but frankly, they've been a retail shop for a really long time and they're starting to see, hey, what can I do? How can I participate? But it's a learning curve. And then we see the absolute, you know, I don't know, 98% of the stores out there that we see running on a platform like Shopify who have the potential to participate in the experience economy and don't, don't know to think about that yet. Uh, and that's our biggest challenge for us. And our biggest opportunity yeah. is how do we help them? In terms of the types of stores out there uh, that are now selling experiences, Candle Bar, is, it was a really good example. Coffee shops is one that's really you know, overtaking me because you just think coffee shop and I go to coffee shops all the time. But now you see ones where you, you told me about this one. Cat cafes. Yeah, cat and craft cafe. Cat and craft cafe. And what struck me about that one was, okay, I said, well, that's wild. You can rent a cat while you're enjoying your coffee. And that's a very peaceful, calming experience, unless it's my cat. Of course, that would not be calming. (laughs) But then what you did was you quickly corrected me because I was saying it wrong. You said, no, 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 that's not the name of a store. It's a category. There are lots of coffee shops that are renting cats out there now. It's, wow, that's a category. Yeah. Uh, category. The- and I will say, pun intended, that uh, they're missional, actually, too. So if you talk to the cat and craft folks, they'll say, well, we're not you know, renting cats, because I think I, it's like, oh, you rent cats. It's like, no, 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 no. These are shelter cats. What we're hoping that is people have a great experience with this cat combined with a great experience in our cafe. They love our coffee. And they adopt a cat. I, I don't know exactly how that works. Maybe there's certain cats you can adopt another cat. It's like, no, that's our star cat. Can't can't rent that cat. That that's that's permanent or, cat. Or maybe they say, Well, what was your drink order again? I mean, if it was like a brevet, you can have that cat. But if you're just talking about like Yeah, if you just yeah, if you got our drip special free refills, you yeah. know, you can't you can't take a cat. Okay, so anyways, go on. Yeah, and then the uh, uh, these experiences that I don't even know how to describe them, where where you you walk into a room and then uh, it, the lights are off, and then the refrigerator door opens and someone walks into it and closes the refrigerator door behind them, and and then you're not sure what to do, so then you go in there and all of a sudden you fall down a slide. I, I mean, this is how I want to spend my afternoon, right? Um, uh, and I see it all around. You know, I have, a, I have a little one at home and, and you know, your average everyday swimming pool went from being this rectangle to, you know, complete wild experiences that people are lining up and not making the cutoff for sold out tickets. Right. And, and this is what you see on Instagram is slides leaving the building and coming back a giant tea kettle pouring water all over everyone. You know, this, this is what people are getting in their car for, for sure. Yeah. And, and, and whether they have a pre-booked moment or they even need any special technology to do it. There is a, there is a dramatic and irrevocable shift that's happening. I pointed out to you this little news blurb that came across my desk the other day. I'll read it to you. Namaste right here on the second floor of Lululemon's new everything store for sweaty people. The 25,000 square foot flagship in Chicago has one boring level of merch, but the rest is an anti-commerce playland. Three studios, yoga, hit, and meditation, a chef-designed, influencer-influenced restaurant, and we work worthy workspace. Lulu wants 10% of its stores to look like this one by 2023. Now, on, on one hand, you're like, oh, that sounds kind of cool. It's the place I like to visit. I like to go there. It'd be really cool. Take my, take my besties. We'll go there and have a workout. On the other hand, it's absolutely absurd. Like, what, what, 
what does Lululemon want to do, man? Yeah, what are you? Are you a gym? Yeah. Are, are you, uh, what, what are you? Are you a yoga studio? But you know what? It, it is the easiest thing to, to nod your head and understand. Do you need to get in your car and drive to the store to go get yoga pants? Absolutely not. <laughs> no one does that. Yeah. Right? I mean, people do, but, and, and I hate to typecast them, but Gen Y, you can find, once you're looking for it, they'll, they'll broadcast this sentiment. It's like, I don't get in my car to buy anything. If it can be shipped, it's going to be shipped, right? For sure. And if it didn't, and my wife will order all three sizes and send the ones back that didn't fit. And the stores are fine with that. But she'd go to that hit class, and sure, she's probably going to pick up some pants while she's there. Yeah, and <laughs> Lululemon and their smart CEO know that if they can associate themselves as something more than a pair of yoga pants or whatever it happens to be that they're selling, that they're going to succeed in an era of direct-to-consumer where uh, brands can get to their customers just as fast as they can, even though that other brand doesn't have Class A real estate. For sure. And, and, and you see the reverse happening, right? Like Warby Parker now has stores, which they've earned as a privilege uh, by their model, right? And by, by starting as a DTC company and saying, hey, and now we've earned the right to be able to offer an experience. And now you see people sending out pictures of them in different glasses while at the store to say, which one looks best on me? Right. right. It now becomes a participatory shopping experience. And we've seen this happen in categories that just almost boggle the mind. It's easy to forget in an Amazon era where we're served so quickly by next day, two day, whatever shipping, that there was a point when all of us couldn't have conceived, and this is going to sound incredible, Matt, of having a mattress shipped to us. <laughs> well, I mean, it would have seemed ridiculous 10 years ago. It's like, hey, your future mattress, you won't lay on it. You won't test it out it'll come to you they'll have a 180 day, 80 day sleep guarantee or something ridiculous like that and if you don't like it they'll just give you their your money back and you can donate donate it to a local shelter and, and i don't know when it started but there are i believe seven significant ship you a mattress in a box companies yeah i'll have to tell you about this another time i had a mattress startup that predated all of those it was called well slept and and yeah Ahead of your time. Yeah, ahead of my time. <laughs> Execution is everything. Didn't jump on it. Not bragging. Basically, it's embarrassing. But we have that for mattresses. We have that for glasses. We have that for uh, the pants I'm wearing, Bonobos. They started out as a direct-to-consumer thing. Now they have their guide shops. And when they first started uh, doing retail, it wasn't in the, the most fancy real estate. It was I went to one in San Francisco once. It was down a back alley, up a rickety set of stairs into a room on the second floor of a building, not on a main street. And I had this fantastic experience. They uh, curated uh, an environment where I could find the exact right fit of uh, chinos, and I got a great shirt. And then I didn't walk out with anything. It showed up at my house three days later, which was weird. So, And so you have these things like Lululemon doing this, it's it's easy to forget that they're responding to consumer change and creating more value at the same time and validating their place in the world. For sure. And, and you know what? This is even happening in categories that were experienced categories to begin with. Bars, restaurants are now absolutely saying, hey, I bet people would like to learn some mixology class or barista class or come sit at the chef's table and watch how we cook, right? And people will pay a premium for that. With good reason. It's fun. It's limited inventory, right? It's, it's at a premium. 
supply demand curve is, is absolutely in favor of the supply and the limited there there is. And so uh, this is happening everywhere. And like I said at the beginning of this, when we started talking, this is one of the largest economic movements I've seen occurring in business that is getting talked about so little. Yeah, I agree. And I'm looking forward to seeing how the experience economy shakes out over the next decade. I'm looking forward to how we as technologists and educators can be involved in the success of these businesses. Any closing thoughts from you? No, I, I agree. I can't wait to see how this goes. Right now, as we said, there's a, there's a handful of folks who are at the tip of the spear and see what's going on and taking advantage. The vast majority, it'll, it'll be a wait and see. Do they, uh, do they uh, turn over and for the next breed to come in, or do they get smart and figure out what, what opportunity they have here? All right. Thanks, Matt. Subscribe to our podcast. Join our mailing list at experiences.fm, and we'll talk to you soon.